Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelts. Today is Sunday, March 26, 2023. I am the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News, and on Sundays, I take the microphone while Linnea enjoys a well-deserved day off. I'm going to be covering five topics today. We're going to be talking about the situation in Bakhmut, the situation in Avdivka. Is Russia culminating? Has the winter offensive come to an end? Russia's snub of China, and what's next? When in where will the Ukrainian counteroffensive happen? Let's talk about Bakhmut. The first rumors that Ukraine was withdrawing from Bakhmut started on February 12th. That's the same day that Ukrainian officials announced that press would no longer be allowed in the city without approval from the armed forces of Ukraine, and a parallel announcement that civilian evacuations by volunteers would be halted. The calls for a Ukrainian withdrawal picked up steam during the first week of March, with many believing that the ground lines of communication, G-Lock supply lines, had been or were at imminent risk of being severed. And at that time, Russia controlled a about 50% of the city. 26 days have passed, and Russian forces control approximately 60% of the city. Russian state media released a video yesterday that showed the rate of progress in the southeastern part of Bakhmut by the Mariupol Cemetery and the Damba Reservoir has been... 40 meters a day. Russian attempts to sever the G-locks on the T-506 and T-504 highways have been unsuccessful. At times, Russia does bring the T-504 from Chasovyar under fire control, but it is not consistent. We had questioned Russia's, and specifically PMC Wagner's, ability to take Bakhmut into a technical or operational encirclement. Russian commanders have given up on this strategy, and to the north of Bakhmut, Ukraine was able to push Russian forces east on the MO3, also known as the E-40 highway. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik, Igor Strelkov-Gurkin, shared his assessment of the situation in Bakhmut. Wagner, with attached units, torments Bakhmut. Phrases like, fights are already going on in the area of the central market, speak for themselves. Gurkin is commenting on a video we linked to in our March 25, 2023 situation report at the Silpo Market. The complex is located in central Bakhmut, 300 meters from the banks of the Bakhmukova River. It was inaccurately reported that Ukrainian forces were firing to the northwest, which would mean that Russian forces had broken through Ukrainian defensive lines, was in the center of Bakhmut, and at least a pocket of Ukrainian forces would be encircled. Ukrainian forces were firing east across the river. Gherkin continues, very slowly, step by step, our fighters are squeezing out the enemy, that's Ukraine. Russian commanders were unable to either surround or force the Ukrainians to leave the 
city without a fight. And the enemy, again, Ukraine, has not yet counterattacked with serious forces. Links to videos and quotes are available in our Daily Situation reports, which patrons get access to. Russian commanders are concentrating a limited ammunition supply on Bakhmut to the detriment of other operational areas. There is a critical shortage of anti-tank guided missiles, ATGM, and man-portable anti-tank weapons. BMC Wagner has culminated in Ukraine between combat losses, 5,000 penal mercenaries completing their contractual obligations, and Prigozhin cut off from the easiest recruiting paths, the private military's company compound potential is spent. Wagner is at the minimum combat ineffective. How do we know that? Russian forces are taking an increasing role in Bakhmut, including multiple VDV units, throwing some of the last intact elite forces left in the Russian military onto the front lines. Now, we maintain that Russia will continue to prioritize Bakhmut due to the political value. We don't believe that Russia is capable of creating a technical or operational encirclement. Had Ukrainian forces withdrawn from Bakhmut when the calls in the analyst space started in mid-February, they would have handed Russia a political and military gift. Time is not on Russia's side anymore. Avdiivka. Some Russian mill bloggers are already setting conditions in the information space that Bakhmut wasn't as important as the world was led to believe, and the real focus has been on Avdiivka. Avdiivka was an industrial city west of Donetsk. They have a large iron coke plant, which Russian forces have systematically destroyed. The 1st Army Corps has made three significant attempts to encircle the city because, like Bakhmut, Ukrainian defenses within the city are well-established. But unlike Bakhmut, the approaches to the city are even more difficult. The area is surrounded by former beaten potato fields that are a mine-covered hellscape now. The first attempt started in March 2022 and ended in May when the Russian Ministry of Defense pulled the local resources out and sent them to Luhansk. The second attempt started in late July 2022 and ended in early October with only marginal gains and no ability to turn operational success into tactical or strategic victory. The latest offensive started in early February and the 1st Army Corps, largely supported by Russian Mobics who don't want to fight for the Donetsk People's Republic, have been leading the attack. In the Krasnohorvika area north of Evdivka, Russian forces have been able to push further west than the two previous attempts. But like Bakhmut, combat power is fading, and Ukrainian forces have been nudging Russian troops back away from the railroad tracks. South and east of Avdiivka, the situation is worse for Russian forces. Ukrainian forces have been able to liberate territory north of Pervomaiske and recapture positions northeast of the Donetsk International Airport and towards Spartak. Almost a dozen Russian Mobic units have made near-identical claims. Artillery is not available. Requests for suppression or counter-battery go completely unanswered. There are no armored vehicles to support attempted attacks. Ukrainian drone attacks have become more frequent, more sophisticated, and more lethal. Local DNR commanders are no better than warlords, demanding bribes to stay off the front lines or to receive medical care from combat wounds. Two units in the last weeks have complained about the lack of rations and potable water. Our favorite FSB colonel shared his point of view about the situation west of Donetsk, and I quote, our brilliant military leaders are ruining the last remnants of the combat-ready Donetsk infantry, deluded with Russian volunteers and mobilized. Attempts to assault over and over again with insufficient forces day after day and predictably. The enemy, Ukraine, has pulled up reserves and 
I no longer expect the encirclement of Avdivka. There has been no progress in the last two days. The armed forces of Ukraine also suffer heavy losses, but this battle is beneficial for Ukraine. No lies detected, and I wish Gherkin would get out of my head. The wasting of Russian troops is in itself a criminal act. Ukraine has built up defenses in this area for over eight years, and unlike Bakhmut, Russia has not established any kind of fire control on Ukrainian GLOCs. Russian troops and heavy equipment losses have been appalling, and it is incredible to think that in 2023, any modern military would consider this acceptable. We assessed back in April 2022 that for Russian forces to encircle Avdiivka, it would require 50,000 troops with armor and artillery support. Russia doesn't have these resources anymore. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Has the Russian winter offensive culminated? Signs point to yes. Let's do a quick rundown on the situation. The Kupiansk operational area in Kharkiv is stable. In the Kremina and Sversk operational areas, fighting intensity has declined. In the Solidar operational area, there's been very little activity, very few attempts to push west or north. We've already covered Bakhmut and Avdiivka. In the Marinka operational area, we're to month 14 of Marinka, or more specifically the rubble that was Marinka, will be captured tomorrow. Significant offensive operations in the Vuladar operational area have ended. Yes, fighting continues, but it is nothing like the intensity that we saw in late January into mid-February. Russian forces are now firing an estimated 20,000 artillery shells a day, theater-wide. That's down 60 to 75% from a year ago. According to the Oryx database, Russia has lost 27 main battle tanks in the last 48 hours. That's almost three companies, a full battalion. These losses are unsustainable, but we're seeing other indicators Indicator lights flashing that point to the current Russian offensive has culminated because if there's one thing, the Kremlin is consistent. The Kremlin is back to the don't make us nuke you rhetoric on a daily basis. The Russian FSB is accusing Ukraine of plotting to invade Moldova. We have the Kremlin threatening to capture leave again and repeated accusations of NATO forces and thousands of Polish mercenaries fighting in Ukraine. What is up with the Polish mercenary obsession at the Kremlin. We also have to go back to the over two dozen videos of various Russian units pleading for assistance from the Kremlin or President Vladimir Putin directly for reassignment. It is incredible to me how close some of these Mobics in these videos are to figuring out the puzzle, and yet they are so far away. There are units that were trained to fire artillery who got to Ukraine to be told there are no artillery pieces available for you to fire. Congratulations, you're now in the infantry. These same units then make appeal videos, rightly stating they were never trained to be frontline infantry used to break through hardened Ukrainian defenses. And almost every appeal video includes that requests for artillery fire, for counter-battery, or suppression of Ukrainian attacks go unanswered. You were trained to be an artillery unit. You're told there are no artillery pieces for you to use. You're Sent to the front line as light infantry with no anti-tank weapons, grenade launchers, or heavy machine guns. When you ask for artillery support, it goes unanswered. Connect the dots. There is a huge 
equipment, and ammunition problem. In our assessment, we need a few more days, literally a few more days of data to be able to confidently say, Yes, this is it. It is culminated. And something that may complicate reaching that conclusion is the weather forecast for the week coming up ahead. It is very wet, and there's a possibility of some very significant snowfall on Friday, March 31st. And we are keeping our eyes on that. In our daily written situation reports, which are available to our patrons, we have a section that covers the week ahead weather forecast. We focus on the area where most of the fighting is going on, as well as a map on snow depth. On March 20th, the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense announced they would supply 125mm depleted uranium tank rounds to Ukraine as part of their aid package, which includes 14 Challenger II main battle tanks. The next day, March 21st, Russian President Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping released a joint statement that said in part, all nuclear weapon states should refrain from deploying nuclear weapons abroad and withdraw nuclear weapons deployed abroad. I know it's kind of clumsily worded when you read it out loud. This statement was aimed squarely at the United States, which has atomic weapons forward stage in Turkey and Germany, as well as other nations. When Putin made that statement with his Chinese counterpart, he already knew about the depleted uranium rounds the UK committed to sending to Ukraine. Full stop. He also knows full well that Russia has depleted uranium tank rounds in its inventory since 1982, created an updated version in 2016, and has used used those rounds in Ukraine. As former ambassador to Russia and policy expert Michael McFall pointed out today, the Kremlin's declaration that they are forward deploying nuclear weapons in Belarus is a smack in the face to President Xi. It only took five days for the Kremlin to tear up their joint statement. The timeline is important because President Putin said that the decision to forward deploy the tactical nukes was because the UK was supplying depleted uranium rounds to Ukraine. In the exact same interview, Putin undercuts his own argument, saying that uncool Lando Calrissian and the dark potato prince of Belarus, illegitimate President Alexander Lukashenko, had requested nukes over a year ago. Lukashenko announced in August of 2022 that Russia was modifying Belarus's Su-25 ground attack aircraft to deliver nukes and providing the dark potato prince with Iskandar M short-range ballistic missiles. The plan to forward deploy nuclear weapons was made last year. McFall concluded that to Today's announcement was, quote, not very respectful of his good friend Z. This segment isn't about threats of World War III. We've assessed months ago that we're over it and our listeners should be over it too. If this is how Moscow is treating policy statements with its good friends in Beijing, how can the Kremlin be trusted in other matters? Many pundits, analysts, journalists, and Twitter experts are now turning their eyes to April and May and starting to speculate when, where, and what for the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And if you dive into Russian social media and Russian mill bloggers, there is a lot of nail biting that is going on in that space about all of those questions. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Anna Mylar asked the public speculation about the where, when, and how of the Ukrainian counteroffensive be stopped in 
the public sphere. And she says, quote, It is good that no one in public discussed the counteroffensive in Kharkiv Oblast before it began, and the combat zone was completely closed off to anyone except the military. At that time, the most successful operation during the full-scale invasion in terms of the intensity of the liberation of our territories was implemented. The silence allowed the military to buy time and do their job. I would like to remind you that strategic military plans and designs have the right to be made public by three persons in this country. The Supreme Commander-in-Chief, the President, the Minister of Defense, and the Commander-in-Chief. Mylar added, you don't need to ask questions to experts on the air. What about a counteroffensive? You don't need to write blogs and posts on this topic, and you don't need to publicly discuss the military plans of our army. We have one strategic plan, to liberate all our territory and the details are a military secret. Going to move to assessment in that statement and provide you some insight on where we think the counteroffensive is coming, and you're probably not going to like our answer. Our early listeners and readers know we had remarkable insight into the Kharkiv counteroffensive, but we respected operational security. Our subscribers and audience were likely less surprised that the counteroffensive started, and like our team, were more surprised at the ferocity and rapid Ukrainian advance. Our insight was heavily influenced by a critical contact who was behind Russian lines. In hindsight, this person who we have not identified for their protection from Russian retribution, had access to a stunning amount of accurate information. We worked for four months to build a relationship based on trust, and we can add that the individual was located in an area liberated in September of 2022 and is not Russian. We don't have that level of insight today, but we do have a working theory of where the next Ukrainian counteroffensive will be and what the objectives are. While it would be interesting to share our assessment from a content and clout-chasing standpoint, we're withholding our point of view for the exact reason Deputy Minister Mylar pointed out. Our decision was made two weeks ago and was not influenced or requested by any government official. While this may seem disingenuous, surely if our team can see what is happening, the Russian Ministry of Defense must see it too. We've been advised by people smarter than us that as our audience has grown, as we have evolved into one of the top 1,000 podcasts on the planet in terms of reach, maybe there's some things that we've been saying in the past that should probably be left unsaid at this point. We do have a plan to prove to our audience that we do have a working theory on where and what the objectives are, and we're going to put a degree of proof up to back up those words, but it may not be in the way that people expect, and this will be done in a future video. Thank you for joining me today. I know that I enjoy coming into the studio and doing this for you. Linnea will be back on Monday. We will continue our abbreviated coverage as we are working on some projects to bring an even better experience to our audience. My name is David Obeltz. I am the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Thank you for joining me today. And as I always like to end this, there is so much awful in the world. Please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.